It's a good weekend to be with us if you are new in particular because I thought this would be a great time to give a refresher on who we are and, and what we're about here at Christ City Church. Uh, and there are a number of reasons why I thought this would be an appropriate message for today. First, we are currently in between series. Last week we finished uh, the Old Testament book of Jonah. And next week we kick off a new series called The Whole Story in which we'll learn how to share our stories and to hold others' stories. And we'll learn why both are important. And second, being in D.C., we sort of follow along roughly, vaguely with the academic calendar. And so August and September are sort of times when we sort of ramp, ramp up for the, for the fall. Uh, small groups, which are, are really the heart of our church, where we hope discipleship, community, and mission are really able to take root and flourish. Those start next week, and, and mo almost all of those are up on the website now, so you can go check those out. Outreach events, opportunities to serve in our city, they start ramping up this month with the H Street Festival just a few weeks away. And uh, a third reason is, as we celebrated back in July, Christ City Church is two years old now. It's been two years since we explicitly talked about our values and our calling, and so this seems like a good juncture at which to offer a reminder for those who've been around for a while and an introduction for those who are newer. Now, this is not a new vision uh, that I've just come up with that I'm trying to sneak in before Matthew gets back from his sabbatical in a week or so. This is the vision with which we began Christ City Church two years ago. It's the vision with which we were planted six years ago as the East Side Parish of the District Church. It's the vision that underlies even the District Church's planting nine years ago. Some of the words, some of the ways of talking about what we're called to, they may have changed over the years, but the heart and hope have remained constant. I've been in D.C. now for 10 years, and nine of those years I've been a pastor. This city is where I found my calling and my vocation. This community is the only one I've ever served. By the grace of God, I've had the privilege of being in the living room of Amy and Aaron Graham in Columbia Heights in 2010, spring 2010, when a small group of us first began dreaming about what we longed for church to be. I was at the first meeting of the district church at Next Step Public Charter School on September 19th, 2010. Remember, remember these old school Instagram filters? You can hardly tell what's going on. I was at the first meeting, uh, at the early meetings in the Schultz-Geyer living room in 1840 Bay Street Southeast where we began to pray for God's vision for us here on this side of town. I was at our official launch on June 2nd, 2010. And 13, we were met in the, uh, in the auditorium because they were doing, uh, they, they had set up over there for Into the Woods Junior. And we, so we had to be over there. That was a, 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 a you know, an unexpected uh, occurrence. And uh, that very first Sunday, because of the air, because the air conditioning was so loud, we blew our speakers, trying to help people hear. That's why we're, we're here and we have remained here <laughs> on this side. And then, uh, and then at our relaunch two years ago as Christ City Church with our own elders and our own governing structure on August 6th, 2017. And this week as I considered again what God is calling us to by looking back at what God has brought us through, one of the things that continues to inspire me and give me hope is this, God is alive and at work. God is alive and at work. The God we read about in Scripture is the same God we get to know and experience here and now. I've experienced that myself. I've seen that with my own eyes in your lives. Coming to faith, baptisms, weddings and kids for some, friends who have become old friends, 
navigating conflict and disagreement along the way. Couples who have worked hard to be married well, and single folk who have worked hard to be single well. Folks who have been hurt by church finding their way back, often through finding grace in seasons of space. I'm so grateful for so many of you who have given so much time, energy, and money to make this church what it is, to make us who we are today. We aren't perfect, not by any means, not even close, but it would be remiss of us not to give thanks for what God has already done in our longing and our yearning for what is yet to come. And so today I want to talk about a vision, a hope, and a calling, and the way I want to do that is through another vision, the vision seen by an Old Testament prophet. And so let me invite you to stand as you're able to reverence the reading of God's Word. Today's reading comes from Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and sent me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. And he said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord." So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Has anyone here ever, when you were a kid, gotten lost or separated from your parents? Maybe you weren't paying attention, or they forgot you somewhere, not quite Home Alone style, but not far off. Anyone? Almost everyone? Do you remember how you felt in that moment when you realized you were lost, if you were old enough to, to realize it? What were some of those feelings? Just shout them out if you're able, if, you're, if it's not too vulnerable for you to share uh, how you felt in that moment. Excited. Excited! <laughs> I had a feeling some of them would go there too. Others? Fear? Fear? Fear. Abandoned? Stupid? <laughs> Small. Small. Anyone else? Alone. See, alone. alone. Confused. Confused. Panicked. Panicked. So I don't, I don't remember the exact details of my situation. My parents probably do, but I, I don't remember the exact details. It, it may have been at a train station. Uh, but what I do remember is that feeling. I do still remember the feeling, the pit in my stomach, you know, the, the lurch, the desperate searching and seeking for a familiar face, the helplessness, the not knowing what was going to happen or, or if I was even going to be found. Uh, I think as we get older, we, we get more control and we do whatever we can to not be out of control. 
We do whatever we can to avoid those feelings of helplessness and lostness and not knowing. But author Madeline Lango reminds us of the deeper truth when she writes, when we were children, we used to think that when we were grown up, we would no longer be vulnerable. But to grow up is to accept vulnerability. To be alive is to be vulnerable. As grown-ups, we discover that we are not immune to those feelings of lostness or helplessness or not knowing. We just look different. We discover that we cannot escape the limitations of our control or the limits of our choices, as sometimes things are chosen for us or things happen to us. In my own life, I could point to relationship heartbreak or job rejection or, as I shared recently, our, our struggle to get pregnant, a roller coaster journey of emotions. I can name similar situations that friends have gone through, the loss of loved ones, the security-shattering experience of inflicted violence, church hurt. Or we could zoom out and we could look at our city or our world with so many issues that seem overwhelming or impossible to fix, so much so that we may not feel like we can do anything, or if we can do something, we may feel like it's only a band-aid on a broken limb. What are the things that have you feeling vulnerable right now? What are the things that have you feeling vulnerable right now? I want you to just take a moment to, to answer that question. Uh, use the, the connection card if you want to write it down. Take a note on your phone. Use, there are spare connection cards all over. But I want you to take a moment, just 30 seconds to write down what has you feeling vulnerable right now? Maybe it's something for you personally. Maybe it's in the life of a loved one. Uh, maybe it's something in, in our community here at Christ City. Maybe something in our city, maybe something in our country or in our world. What has you feeling vulnerable right now? What can you not control? I'm just going to give you 30 seconds. 2,600 years ago, in the 6th century BC, about 100 years after Jonah, who we were learning about this last, last month, the prophet Ezekiel was living in exile in Babylon. If you remember our quick history lesson from the story of Jonah, the nation of Israel had split into two kingdoms after the reign of King Solomon. Judah was the southern kingdom and Israel was the northern kingdom. Jonah lived and prophesied in Israel, the northern kingdom, which at this point in time had been destroyed by Assyria. Ezekiel was born in Judah, the southern kingdom, and he had seen his nation defeated by Babylon. So Jerusalem, the capital, had been sacked and the unthinkable had happened. The people of God were no longer in the promised land. They were now living in captivity. They were in exile. There's a song that was written by the people of Israel during this time, Psalm 137. It goes, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You can hear the lament. You can hear the helplessness. You can hear the lack of control. This is not the world they would have chosen for themselves. To see their homeland and their holy temple devastated by foreign invaders, to see their families and friends slaughtered or taken into slavery, to be removed from the place they had lived for generations. Psalm 137 is a hard psalm to read. And not mainly because of the lament, but usually because of the last couple of verses, which go like this. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. 
Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against a rock. Psalm 137 is what's known as an imprecatory psalm. An imprecatory psalm. That's a psalm that's calling down curses on one's enemies. It's hard for us to read because we tend to read from positions of privilege and safety, and we're disturbed that someone would want to do this to someone else. But imagine these words coming from the lips of someone who's living in exile, in a foreign land, weaponless, harmless and humiliated, beaten and beaten down, perhaps even in chains, who has seen their parents and their own children killed by the Babylonians, even dashed against the rock. When read in the context of the rest of the psalm, the mockery of their tormentors, sing us a song of your homeland now, rubbing their faces in their defeat, reveling in their tragedy, perhaps you can see and hear instead their helpless anger. The furious but ultimately impotent rage. This is a victim's cathartic expression. Payback is a, and I hope you get it. I can't make it happen, but I hope someone does. This is the situation that the people of Israel are in. They're in exile, strangers in a strange land, devastated, helpless, hopeless, like a valley of dry bones. There is no life there. This is an impossible, irretrievable situation. This is no resuscitation job. You couldn't perform CPR because there's no flesh or skins or organs. There's only bones. There's no lips to, into which to breathe air and no lungs which could receive it anyway. Just dry bones. That's how dead and buried their hope is. And in this situation, God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, oh Lord God, you know. People of Israel had been in exile for over 10 years at this point. What hope is left? What resistance remains? What faith? What vision? When you look at the list of things or the things that you named earlier and wrote down maybe the things in your own life or the things in the lives of those around you or in our church, in our neighborhood, our city, our country, our world, how hopeless and helpless do you feel about those things? You could have a conversation, but what good will it do? You could go to counseling, but that's not going to change the other person. You could donate a few bucks, but will it really make a difference? You could cast your vote, but it's only one drop in a bucket. Can these bones really live? Maybe to say, oh Lord God, you know, is to say, I know that in theory all things are possible, but I just can't see it right now. I just can't see how things could change for the better. But God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Speak words of life over them, words of remembering, of putting back together. And so Ezekiel does, even though he may not be sure what's going to happen. There is at least enough faith in him to do what God tells him. And suddenly as he speaks, there's a noise, there's a rattling, 
And the valley of dry bones begins to shimmer and shake as bone comes to meet bone, and then sinew covers the bones, and flesh covers the sinew, and skin covers the flesh. But Ezekiel says there was no breath in them. The word for breath and spirit in Hebrew is the same, ruach. And it's the same word that's used in this passage, even though the English interchanges between breath and spirit. There was no breath in these newly reanimated bodies. There was no spirit in them. There was no life yet. So God says to Ezekiel again, prophesy to the breath, to the spirit. And maybe he does, maybe with a, lo- a little bit more faith now because of what he's just seen. And the spirit comes and the breath comes into the bodies. And it says they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. The first time I heard this passage read, the version said a mighty army. They stood on their feet. Where once there were dry bones, now there stands a mighty army. Where once there was a graveyard, now there is a restored community, a revived hope, a renewed faith. This is God's promise of redemption and return for the people in exile. There is nothing that God cannot do. Nothing that God cannot bring back to life. But for those of us who follow Jesus, this is also a foreshadowing of what's to come. This is a foretaste of the resurrection. Ezekiel's vision, it is a reminder that our God is the God of the impossible, that every single thing you wrote down, and even the things you were too timid to write because even that felt like too much, every single thing is within the ability of the Almighty. And Ezekiel's vision is also a signpost that points 600 years ahead. As the Apostle Paul would write to the church in Rome, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, as Christians, we believe that's what Jesus does, takes us from death to life. Jesus himself said in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then in John 20, after himself being raised to life by the Spirit of God, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive God's life-giving wind. The vision of Ezekiel was a vision for the people of Israel who were in exile, hopeless and helpless. And it is a vision for those of us who understand it through the person of Jesus as well. The task for all of us is to figure out what the words of Scripture mean for us today. And so, what does that mean for us as a church? Well, the mission and vision of our church is this. In response to the grace of God that has brought us from death to life, Christ City Church is joining Christ in His work of redemption, of preaching life to dry bones, of praying the Spirit's breath into desolate places, of pointing to the hope found in Jesus in Washington, D.C. and the world. Our vision is to see the kingdom of God on display in D.C., in every life and every sphere of life. The kingdom of God is just the new life. It's the new way of life that is available to us through Jesus, where what God wants to happen actually happens, where where God is in charge and where God is. Because where God is, there is mercy, and there's wholeness, and there's right relationship, and there's justice and grace and love and hope And freedom, those are expressions, those are the expressions of God's kingdom, and those are the things we long to see in every life, in every person's life, 
and in every sphere of life, in every nook and cranny of our world, in every system and structure, in every family and friendship. But, but I know those, those values, those concepts, they're, they're broad and vague. They could mean any, any number of things. So we've broken it down some more. The calling of Christ City Church of Washington, D.C. is bound up in our name. It's easy to remember. Embedded in that name are our highest values, our deepest longings, and the fullest vision of who we are becoming as God's people and what we're dreaming for our city. We're called to Christ. We're called to the city. We're called to the church. Christ City Church. When we were part of the district church, our core values were worship, community, and justice. We might not use the same words in the same way, but the core remains. We are called to Christ. We are called to worship Christ, to receive Christ, to follow Christ, to be becoming more like Jesus, to be becoming the kind of people that other people might encounter and say, you remind me of Jesus. That's who we're called to be becoming. And that means we're committed to discipleship and spiritual formation, to the process of transformation, to doing whatever it takes to put ourselves in such a position that the Holy Spirit, the life-giving Spirit of God, might pour more life into each of us. We're committed to caring more and more about the things Jesus cared about, the marginalized, the vulnerable, the down and out, to unity in the church, and to going about things the way Jesus went about things to learning to live as Jesus would if he were in our place, with humility, with graciousness, with boldness, with courage, with joy, with faith, with hope, with love. Christ City Church, this is all on our website, Christ City Church revolves around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ is the object of our faith and the one on whom all our hopes and dreams hang. He is the one with whom we are captivated. He is the one to whom we look. He is the one we follow, and He is the one we invite others to follow. Where we see joy and beauty in our world, we acknowledge that as the handiwork of Christ, the creator, sustainer, and liberator of our world. Where we see brokenness in our world and in our lives, we cry out to Christ, the one who is working to renew all things, heal all things, restore all things. Other than Christ, we believe there is no name by which humanity is rescued, And the wrong things in the world are set right. In worship, in our calling to Christ, in centering our lives around Jesus, we get to experience the life of God. But as we read and as we know, there are wrong things in the world. There are hard situations, overwhelming situations, helpless situations. You may have written some of those down. But we serve a God of hope and a God of calling. The God of Ezekiel's vision is the God of hope and the God of calling. The God revealed in Jesus is the God of hope and the God of calling. And so we are called to the city, to this city, in mission and in justice, participating in God's mission and God's justice, seeking to bless our city, our neighborhoods, our neighbors, to see it all flourishing, to see it all enjoying abundant life. As we say, place matters. We learned more about that earlier this summer. Place matters. Because Jesus took on flesh and blood, lived in a neighborhood, and identified with a people, we also root ourselves in neighborhoods and identify with people. Our place is Washington, D.C. While many come to the city to consume it and use it, we want to be among those who love it. Some of us have lived here our whole lives, and this city 
is our story for as long as we've had one. Others of us have come to call this place home. Still others of us are only here for a short while. All of us are learning what it means to follow Jesus in a locale, to be good neighbors, to be storytellers of God's good news, and to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God in D.C. What that means practically is that we serve our city. We, we care for the needs of our city. And that, that may mean caring for kids in the foster care system by serving with our community partner, DC 127. It may mean donating diapers and wipes for homeless families here in our city. It may mean volunteering with your small group at minor elementary parent-teacher meetings once a month so that parents can be more involved in their kids' lives. That's why we do it. It may mean volunteering at the H Street Festival because who knows but that someone who's looking to get lost in a crowd needs to see a friendly face and have a conversation that just might change their life. Caring for our city may mean giving financially to, to the church because you may not be able to do all of these things. You may not be able to be at all of these things, but what you're going to do, you're going to do. And what you can give, you're going to give. And in doing these things and giving of ourselves for others, we not only experience the life of God for ourselves, but we embody the life of God for others. And finally, we're called to the church. We're called to be the church. We are called to be the church. We are the church. From the very first days of our life as a parish, we have tried to live out what we have said, that we are the church. Christ City Church is us. We are and will be what you bring, what you offer, what you give in the service of the kingdom to the glory of God through the Spirit of Christ. Church isn't a building. It isn't an organization. It isn't an institution. And church isn't a place for the perfect or pristine. Church is for the hungry, the hurting, and the hopeful. Church is a community of people who are ordering their lives around Jesus, rooted in a place, coming together like we are today, to remember the promises of God and the work of Christ and walking together as followers of Jesus. Our church, our church is a collective of storytellers sharing the greatest story of all in a thousand ways to remind one another when we forget and to invite others who haven't heard. We are a people gathering to remember and then scattering to tell the gospel of Christ Jesus. We are Invited not only to experience the life of God for ourselves, not only to embody the life of God for others, but also to evangelize. And by evangelize, I mean to bear the good news. Just to bear the good news. The Greek word is euangelion. That's where evangelize comes from, to share the good news. It's not about making someone believe. It's not about forcing someone to agree with you. It's about sharing the good news. It's about sharing the gospel. When we love a TV show or a podcast or a book or a restaurant, we share that. And so why not also when we experience the hope and joy of life with God? Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that the goal of all Christian community the goal of all Christian community is that we would encounter one another as bringers of the message of salvation. That within the community of faith, we would encounter one another as bringers of the message of salvation, the good news. We don't have, we don't have a membership process here at Christ City Church. You show that you're a part of this community by being involved, by embodying the vision and encountering others in the community as a bringer of the message of salvation. 
That looks like being in a smaller group where you listen to and share with and pray for one another. It looks like volunteering on a ministry team so that the load is shared around and it's not borne by just a few. It looks like being gracious to and patient with one another as a community that is seeking to hold together amidst difference, to hold together around Christ. Jesus said the world would know that we are his disciples because of our love for one another. Loving one another means serving one another, means being there for one another, and praying for one another, putting one another's needs ahead of our own. Last week we talked about how loving one's enemies is a step above. It's a higher calling. It's a, it's a greater demand. Love itself is a greater demand. Love itself is a greater demand. Love itself requires denying oneself for the good of others. Willing their good even when it's uncomfortable. Love itself means refusing to be a consumer and choosing instead to be a contributor. It means refusing to be just a reservoir of God's blessing where you store it up for yourself and choosing instead to be a conduit of God's blessing where it gets to flow through you to others. You get to show what the life of God means to you by sharing it with others. Even secular psychologists have noted that one of the stages of maturity in psycho psychosocial development is being able to focus on the needs of others above yourself. Generativity. So what's the next step of faith? What's the next faithful step for you? It looks different for each one of us. There's grace in that and there's grace for all of that. You may be here today and you haven't heard a word I've said about the vision and calling of Christ City Church because you've been thinking about that hopeless, hopeless situation that you named right at the beginning. Whatever feels like a valley of dry bones, beyond rescue, beyond redemption, beyond resurrection. If that's where you are, that's okay. I'm not the main attraction here. If that's where you are, let me encourage you to lay it before the Lord, to bring it before the God of the impossible, to say with whatever faith you have in you, O oh Lord, you alone know if these bones can live. And then do whatever God invites you to do in response, whatever that next step is. For a few of us here, the call is to commit ourselves to Christ. For the first time, maybe. To His care and to His cause, it's to say, I'm not sure about all of this stuff. There's a lot I still don't know, but there's something intriguing. There's something fascinating, something compelling about this person, Jesus, and I, and I, I think I'd like to know more. We'll have prayer counselors on either side of the room and they would love to pray with you about it and, and, and I'd love to talk with you more about that too. Probably for the majority of us though, the step is, the next faithful step is a recommitment. A recommitment. Here we are, September 1st, with exactly four months left in 2019. The year may not have gone as you expected, or hoped. Things may have happened that you would have preferred didn't happen. Choices may have been made for you. But what will you do now? Even if the year has been fantastic, the, year, the question is, what will you do now? 
What will you do now? Is the next faithful step for you, the next step of faith for you, one toward Christ, toward our city, or toward our church, or one that integrates all three? Is it rediscovering or committing for the first time to some personal rhythms of health and wholeness and engagement with God? Times of prayer and meditation or reading uh, the Bible or, or going to counseling or seeing a spiritual director? Is it choosing to join a small group even though you're not sure about getting to, new, getting to know new folks and you like having evenings to yourself? I know that feeling. Is it choosing to volunteer once or twice a month even though you like having Sundays to yourself? I know that feeling too. Is it choosing to give financially or to give more to support the work in the city even though you're not excited about losing some disposable income? I know that feeling too. Is it saying, I don't know what to do with all of my church hurt, and I don't know if and how God can ever heal it, but here I am. I know that feeling too. And let me be clear, recommitment to Christ and His life doesn't necessarily mean recommitting to this church, but it does mean recommitting to the church, to the body of Christ. To the family of God. We are saved into and sustained by a community of faith. And so what is the next faithful step? What is the next step of faith? Only you can answer that question. And only you can follow through on that answer. The words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. He said, I pray that the Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you can see you may know what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for those of us who believe according to the working of his great power God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, far above any helpless, hopeless, not knowing, lost situation we may find ourselves in. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And God has put all things under Jesus' feet and has made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, which is us, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. God, would you seal the work that you have done this morning in our, in our lives? Whatever that is, it might be a new hope. It might be a new vision. It might be a recommitment to our calling. It might just be, hey, the fact that we showed up today. We celebrate that. We give thanks for that. God, would your spirit go with us and be with us wherever we go this week, reminding us that you have the power of life in the midst of death, of hope in the midst of despair, of joy in the midst of sorrow, of vision in the midst of darkness. May we rest in that. May we live out of that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for, for worshiping with us. 
Uh, today, as I mentioned, next week we're going to be doing a new series called The Whole Story. Uh, the importance of, of sharing our stories and hearing other people's stories. And so we hope you'll, you'll be back to join us then.